Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. Welcome, everybody, to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. This is Karen Rands, and I'm, <clears throat> the topic that we're covering today is one that is near and dear to my heart. And you probably have heard me say that before when I talk about because I usually always try to have somebody or a topic that I care about when it comes to furthering this mission of compassionate capitalism. <clears throat> and, you know, it's hard to, when, when you're investing in entrepreneurs, particularly really early stage and startup entrepreneurs where there's not a lot of, a lot of it is still sort of unknown. They have a prediction of what they're going to do. They have a, um, a strategy, but you know, all kinds of things can happen that can, you know, derail that or shift it or other things that affect a business. It's a little bit different when you've got companies that are raising growth capital that are a little bit further along. They've got a history. And so when it comes to one of the common factors of all of both sides of that is the due diligence. And it's something that in, you know, my book that's Inside Secrets to Angel Investing is this primer for people that have never invested in entrepreneurs or kind of new to it, that they want more information than what they can get from, you know, the, the current organization that they're in. Uh, like, for example, Kaufman offers through Angel Capital Association due diligence training, but most groups really only do that maybe once a year. And so you're kind of relying on other people's an expectation that other people have knowledge of what to do to go through due diligence. And, and, you know, basically it's just really checking out what's underneath the covers. You think about anything that you ever buy or purchase or invest in, whether it's a car, whether it's property, whether it's regular old public stock, you go in and look at what's the maintenance records on a car, what, what's the condition of the engine. When you look at real estate, you have somebody give you an appraisal on it, or you have a real estate expert, or you are a real estate expert, and you go and you look around and you look to see about things that might be problems if it's an investment property. When you're investing in public stocks, there's a lot of organizations that provide history. You can go look, because they're public, you can go look and see all of this financial data, all the transactions, acquisitions, all the things that they've done. You can look into, they have to be much more, they have to be transparent. And that's a key word because when it comes to private companies, they're not obligated to be transparent like a public company is. So it's really up to you as the investor to get an idea of what it is that you need to ask for, what you care about in looking at it because of things that you've looked at before and things that were problems before, and, um, be, and, and asking for it. And then as an entrepreneur that might be listening today, you need to be prepared because particularly if you're a startup, they, you may not have all the answers that we're going to talk about today. You may not have all of those answers, but uh, you, um, you need to know, you need to be aware that it's something based on your stage or where you are right now. You don't know that or you don't have that piece of information, but you're aware of it. Okay, So due diligence is a, is a huge part of being successful at angel investing. And, of course, you know, the whole goal of compassionate capitalism is to bring more money into the market for 
these entrepreneurs at all stages to be able to grow the business, create the jobs, impact our economy, bring innovation to the market that changes the world, improves the world in a way we hadn't thought of before. And, you know, yes, you'll, there's a good chance that as an angel investor or as an investor in private companies, you'll lose your money. But that's let it be for market forces that are outside of your control and not because of something you could have asked about or wanted or requested that wasn't provided, right? So when I was uh, go, uh, my guest today, Graham Gintz, he, he is uniquely qualified to talk about this topic and with me and have this conversation because one, he's got an MBA from Georgia Tech. <laughs> so as a, you know, yay. Two, he is a due diligence analyst for the Atlanta Technology Angels. And three, he serves as the sourcing and fundraising associate for Techstars Social Impact. That means that he's involved in that process. But even more so because of the fact that he has gone through this process of, of launching three companies, that um, with or has been a part of three companies that were investor backed. He's lived through the process of what it is that investors are seeking and what they need, and he realized that there was a gap in the marketplace there. And so he started an organization called Nightly. That's K N I G H T L E Y, and the website is nightly.co, co, just like my website, karenrand.co. And he's the founder of that. And, and the reason why, when, he, when I first found out what he did, he was kind of like, why is she so excited about this? <laughs> and he's got, I'm going to let him on here in just a second. But I have, to, I have to read something from my book to set the stage as to why this is so, such an important opportunity for you to be listening to and learning from. So in my book, I have a section that I call, you know, it's the uh, <clears throat> why is investing like a marriage? And I go through the process of, of going through an investment cycle and, you know, you got your first date and, or you got your introduction and your first date and then courtship and courtship is where you go through the due, the due diligence. And I, and then so I, as I describe that for, you know, investors, I say, During the courtship, you will get to know the management team better and understand their business model more. You'll complete the due diligence and verify the information. Remember, a sample due diligence checklist is available on the resource site. It comes with the book. Information is in the show notes on how to get to that. Um, The company should have their due diligence information together and available when you ask, either as part of their investor relations portal or in a physical book that you can review at the company offices. You might take talk to other current investors and blah, blah, blah. And I go on and I go on and I say, well, not on and on, but to them, please note, if you're investing less than 50,000 or less than 10% of the total raise, you may not have open access to all of these elements, talking to customers, talking to all this kind of stuff. Think about it from the entrepreneurs and his employers and clients and vendors perspective. If it would be unrealistic and imprudent for a hundred different investors who may be looking at this project to take the time from all those critical resources are you, if you are one of the first investors to begin due diligence and you feel it is important for the contextual query to be made, offer to let them record a Q&A so they can be reused with other potential investors as a due diligence document. Request for this type of information to be part of your final decision process, if at all. And then I say, 
in the new world of investor portals, the company should have this information or some variation in their secure deal room. As an interested and qualified investor, you will be given a secure login to access their due diligence content. The amount of due diligence materials will be congruent with their stage, industry, and time in business. And that's what Nightly does. Okay, so with that, I'm going to say welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you very much for being my guest today. Oh, can you hear me? Did you hear me introduce hey. you? Did you hear me introduce you? Yes. Okay, sorry. All of a sudden, yeah. hey, I Jerry, noticed that the that. mic had clicked off. So welcome welcome to the show, Graham. Thank you for being on the show today. That's what happens when it's Thank live. You. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Technology, it's great. <laughs> yes. So, okay, so so what to fill in the gaps of, of your journey as an entrepreneur, you know, did you do something before you got your MBA? Was it a, was it part of an entrepreneur MBA program? Talk a little bit about your journey for your to share with the audience about your experience as this you know startup that led you into seeing the need for a company like Nightly. Absolutely. So I joined Startup Land very early. Um, I actually was a part of a founding team in high school, and uh, wow. I was an inventor. Yeah, I was we accidentally invented something that was a high school science fair project. And uh, lucky for me, I had great mentors and great people around me. And uh, so they kind of handled the business side and let me be a scientist and, and just kind of run, run that project. And uh, ultimately it was very successful. We were able to, to earn five patents and ended up licensing all the technology to a major, major company uh, where I was basically aqua hired to come and run the project there. Um, wow. So in, in hindsight, I wish I would have paid a lot more attention to the business stuff. So for all those technical people out there, like ask your CEO some more questions and, and understand what's happening. Um, because when I went to start company two as, as a CEO, I was basically a first time founder all over again. I, I made all kinds of mistakes and I got my butt just absolutely kicked trying to fundraise. And uh, after doing that for, for over a year, it led me back to school, uh, which was always, always a place I felt comfortable. And I went back to get my MBA because I wanted to learn how to be a VC because I felt that fundraising was the blocker to my success. And if I was able to learn what a VC was looking for, I would be able to, to be a better founder and, and have more success faster. And so Absolutely. in business school. Yeah, and so in business school, but they don't really talk I, about VCs uh, in business school, though, right? They don't talk a lot about venture capital in business schools, though, right? There wasn't a ton. I had to go out of my way to to talk to certain professors that I knew had experience in private equity and and some venture capital. And um, but but what business school did get me is they got me connected to to the the scene better here in Atlanta, and right. um, I was able to to come in as a diligence analyst for Atlanta Tech Angels. And I got a job at a fast-paced startup that was attracting a lot of attention from the West Coast. And so um, wearing kind of both those hats at the same time, I, I was able to kind of learn the process of what good fundraising looked like and, and saw this crack in the system that was due diligence. And, and it's a phrase that everybody is a little bit intimidated by and afraid of because it's kind of intimate and it's, it's everyone's putting all their cards on the table uh, especially when it comes to knowledge. And, and so what I was doing is coaching a lot of other founders um, that were coming through APA and helping them build it out and, 
just making it easier for, for investors. Ultimately, what you want to do is reduce all the friction that you possibly can with investors because it's so easy to say no, and momentum is such a fickle thing that, that you, want, you don't want to have anything blocking the process. So the more organized and the more buttoned up that, that you are, the more confident is instilled from, in those investors. Um, and that kind of led to Nightly, which was giving people an off-the-shelf solution to, to be a buttoned-up founder, even if that organization may not be their expertise. Yeah, so where, why the name? Where did the name come from? Yeah, so, so George Knightley is a character in Jane Austen's fourth novel, Emma. And so he <laughs> is a wealthy landowner who kind of does some basic angel investing, but also is kind of the guide for the protagonist, which is Emma. And she is this boisterous, very adventurous young woman who sees kind of this futuristic version of society. And, and we really like the idea that kind of George Knightley was, I mean, the book is written by Jane Austen, who is this 19th century, very progressive female writer, which was not normal, of what the yeah. ideal male <laughs> counterpart should be. And, and so we love I view myself and as fellow startup founders as kind of the Emma character, whereas I see the future of the world and I just, I want to run and, and just go really fast. And, and it's great to have this person that's a mentor that can guide and coach. And that's how I view angel investors. And there was this quote in the book uh, from George Knightley that is, um, I care not for surprises. The pleasure is never enhanced and um, thinks the, the outcome is, is always undesirable. Basically, it was just like, don't lie to me. I can handle the truth and we're on the same team. But it was this really elegant quote for, and, and that, that's where the name came from. It wasn't any deeper than that. Okay. Well, no, that's, uh, there's a lot, there was definitely a lot of thought that was put into that. So that's good. Um, and it's a good name. So, you know, uh, so the, you kind of protecting as well, right? I mean, that's kind of where the impression is protecting, and that's really what due diligence does. Uh, so let's uh, let's talk about that. Let's, so now, one of the things that talk about some of your experiences because when we were you know preparing for this, you had mentioned you know things that you saw that people had uh, challenges that entrepreneurs had and not really knowing because they weren't really getting the advice and counsel or they didn't they were kind of like the blind leading the blind when it comes to what did they put together and then even new investors a lot of times you know i always tell entrepreneurs that are um that are raising capital when they when i used to run our angel investor events and they would uh they would come and they would you know have a certain kind of a of a story that they would tell and they would you know every entrepreneur that is a founder and has this big vision, you know, they think their particular idea is the best thing since sliced bread, right? They, they, they can't see no wrong with it. And so when I start coaching them on the things that are going to be going through in an, in an investor's head, a lot of times I'll say, well, you know, you have to understand that, you know, you may be able to, the difference between like a friends and family investor and a, somebody in like an ATA, people that are experienced with angel investing, they have all lost some money as um, angel investors. And every time they lost a little money, it was because they didn't think to ask about something 
or they didn't think to look into something and they make a mental note going, golly, I can't believe I didn't ask about that. Next time I'm never doing a deal that I don't ask about that or I don't, you know, look at this or it's got this characteristic or something like that. It's they kind of they kind of build this hidden checklist of what not to do. And, you know, that's a, yeah, and then just like with angel investing, that's a bad way to fall into how do you actually prepare for due diligence. And one of the big uh, benefits of an angel group is that you do have people with all those different kind of experiences, and they usually have standard practices. And I help new angel groups come up with their practices for due diligence and stuff like that. So talk about some of your experiences, because clearly you saw there was a need for this. There's other deal rooms and things out there that they use in the M&A space, but yours is really tailored towards those earlier stage opportunities where they're, they, it's a simple-to-use tool and you know, straightforward guidelines as to what entrepreneurs need to, need to have. Yeah. So, so the opportunity we saw is that most of the data rooms out there were pretty intimidating. They were designed for huge deals, oftentimes used by – lawyers and attorneys, and, and they didn't have a early stage entrepreneur in mind. And there are, the thing that's so fascinating about due diligence is that it is different every single time and with every different investor. And right. so there are some standard practices and some checklists and stuff out there that, that are really great and really helpful. But oftentimes this level of entrepreneur struggles to kind of find those things at this stage in their entrepreneurial journey. And, and so I view, I view due diligence as just trust building. That, and that's, that's really what that process is. And, and what I saw in kind of my experience working on, on both sides of the table, both as a founder and as an investor, was just that awkward of not knowing what to ask for or people not communicating properly, which is creating all of this friction and little pieces of conflict that ultimately just hindered the trust building process. And like I said, investors are always looking for, for outs when it comes to an investment opportunity because, a comp- I mean, by nature, a startup will always be more stable next week than it was the past week. Um, and, and founders are trying to capture that, that check as soon as possible so they can leverage it and, and grow at exponential growth rates. And so what we just kept seeing was all of these little friction points of whether it being having to get permission if the investor wanted to share it with someone on their team or a founder not exactly having everything completely buttoned up, but accidentally representing that they did because they didn't quite understand mm-hmm. what the ask was for. And, and so I wouldn't say that any of this was people trying to be deceptive in the storytelling process that is fundraising. It was just it's start of fundraising is such a unique vernacular that isn't really taught in too many places. And, and now there are way more resources like this and other podcasts and blogs. It's, this is still a relatively new kind of marketing cycle that, that shares all these educational materials. Uh, and, that's, sure. and that's the problem that we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to bring to light and just ease a lot of those friction points with Nightly. Right. Is, uh, <clears throat> because I've seen where a lot of times, particularly startups, will use language. In one case, they'll use language that's all very iffy. And then on the other end, they'll, mm-hmm. they'll present themselves, as you say, 
as if they are further along. And then a point that you made when we were talking before was that in the usual process that angel groups use where you go through gust or something like that to do an application, uh, then, uh, you know, they may not get around to looking at your application until 30, 60 days later when they come back to you. And, uh, and yeah. things have changed, right? I mean, you've been in these Definitely. startups. How, how fast do things change in 60 days? I mean, we're seeing it right now. The world is changing literally every single week, it seems like. And so, yeah, what my business was three months ago is is definitely very different in how I would answer responses and things today. Yeah. So one of the things is that you – you there's, and that's the reason why I stress that you may not have, as a startup, you may not have everything. Like, say, for example, one of the things that often, often entrepreneurs make is that they'll say they have a patent. And really, they have a patent pending. And, you know, it may change, but you still need, or if you haven't yet filed patent, then you need to be able to say how you're protecting your intellectual property and what the actual status is on that. And when you expect to have, if it's patent pending, when you expect to have it, so it's somewhere documented that if they come back 60 days later and you're at that date, then you, they can say, so did the patent come in? And, but they know what to expect. And same thing with financials. I hate it when I see business plans and financials that are, that are they say, you know, this is where we're going to be, uh, you know, mid-year. And it's mid-year, and they haven't even really started yet because they actually haven't gotten their money. And so it needs to be, this is where we'll be six months after funding. You know, things like that you don't really think about because you just do it. But to an investor that's looking at this, they really, really love the deal. And they really, really think that, oh, my God, this guy, I can't believe this gal has done something that I can't believe nobody else has thought of. And they, they might give you grace on one or two of those things and, and coach you through it and be active, particularly if you get into a program like one of these incubators and accelerators that have mentors and stuff like that. But otherwise, as you said early, they can be really picky. They'll go like, oh, well, if he doesn't know that, then there's going to be too much work to bring this founder up to speed as a CEO. So I'm just going to pass and go on the next deal because they have this basic understanding of what it takes to start a company, right? So it's more than just starting the deal. So so there's – there's things that you have to do with corporate formation. There's all kinds of things that you need to have, and bylaws are important. And so, you know, talk about some of the things that you've seen in your doing your due diligence analysts for these angel groups that you like, oh, you, if they'd only had this or they'd only known this, it was really good, but it, they just kind of it fell through the cracks because it took too long to get the information back or they had incorrect information, something like that. Yeah, the, the biggest thing that I see is not having the proper assignment of intellectual property, especially at the earliest, earliest stage companies. So an example is you're a non-technical founder and you either hire a dev shop or maybe you bring on like an intern or a student to right. come in and help you write some code. You need to make sure that in that basically agreement for payment that it says that all of the intellectual property that is developed is assigned to the company. And, and if you don't have that, that is the number one thing that I see that causes deals to stall. It's not necessarily enough to break the camel's back at times, but the deal can't go forward until that issue is resolved. And, and yep. like I said, momentum is everything because once that little piece of trust or that moment of doubt enters <clears throat> into someone's like into their mind, 
it's really hard to pull them back in because also what a lot of founders forget is that investors get so many opportunities. They get so many cool things in front of them and you never know who's going to walk in the door tomorrow or the next day that's going to capture their attention and be the most exciting thing on their plate. And it's not that they didn't like you. It's just, you're now a less competitive investment opportunity to this new thing. So having everything prepared ahead of time is super, super important. Um, I would say, yes, IP assignment, patent, like language is super, super important. Uh, having an up-to-date cap table, so that's a capitalization table, so that expresses the ownership in the organization. You oftentimes want to be a Delaware C corporation, and so just making sure that even if you don't necessarily have those boxes checked, that you have a nice side letter or a note saying that this is the plan, this is the strategy for when we're going to, to, to do this. Yep. This is what everyone's going to get. And, and that's really what investors want to see is that, yeah, due diligence is an opportunity for you to showcase how smart you are and how thoughtful you are in thinking through all of these different things that serial CEOs have already had to do. Absolutely. And the thing I think in, uh, your tool also does, which, you know, I, I – uh, when I'm coaching entrepreneurs, I talk, talk about the process of getting fence sitters off the fence, right? So mm -hmm. just because deals are getting, they may see you at a pitch event or they get introduced to you through a trusted associate or they, um, you know, through a, a portal process that, you know, these, these uh, official groups use. And, you know, when they see the pitch and they do this and they'll have these questions and as you're going through this process, if you have those holding spots like what you just described that says we're going to have that, it gives you an excuse to reach out to the ones that haven't made their decision up and say, hey, remember when I said I was going to have this? We just got it. Or, you know, remember, yeah. oh, I needed to update my cap table because we just got another hundred grand in. And, you know, all of those things help to that person that's not 100% certain so they don't want to be necessarily first money in or they're looking at deals or whatever, or they may not have their cash on hand right now because they're waiting for some other transaction to close so that their, their capital frees up to invest in you. And as you said, they'll continue to look at deals. You come back to the top of the list if you communicate out to them an update. And working through your progress on, your, on all the things that those investors are going to want to see to feel comfortable that mitigates the risk in their mind they they see the opportunity but with every opportunity there is risk associated with it and so that helps them move closer to the finish line of turning them into somebody thinking about it to somebody saying and i and i and i i suppose that once you on your tool uh, does your tool offer that where when when you've given access to it as an investor or when angel groups are using it and they've got their companies providing the due diligence when there's an update, does it automatically update those people that there's been an update to an aspect of the due diligence? Yeah. So you'd get, you'd just basically get a notification that could either come to you direct in, in your account or to your inbox that, that says that a document has been added to, we even have like a folder that's a weekly update kind of folder um, yeah. that is designed for that Perfect. exact purpose. Yeah. Because yeah. that really helps. They, they know you're not stagnant. They, the, you know, deals that are stagnant are just like, you know, they're just stuck. 
right? They're stuck on well, and start. And it shows commitment. <laughs> I mean, it shows, it shows yes. that that founder and that team is all in and that they're, this is what they are doing. They are eating, sleeping, drinking their startup and, and that they are making things happen and that that's why they're a good bet. Because, yeah, to your point, risk is all over this, this industry and, and you're competing against the other people around you to show that you're the best bet. And now it still may be very, very risky and that's where kind of the upside potential has to be there. But, but ultimately one of the easy ways, I mean, having an organized data room and, and being buttoned up is a pure hustle play. It is something that every founder is capable of. It's just putting in the time, the energy, and the work. And what we wanted to do was make sure that we can maximize that work and maximize that efficiency to get you buttoned up really quickly without having to spend days and days and days preparing for, for this process that is so unique to, to the individual investment opportunity. And so when the difference, you know, the, and, and just to make it a note for, comp, for companies that are either raising capital through a general solicitation mode, so of course that's interstate, uh, interstate exemptions, Reg CF, 506D, and Reg A+. If you're raising capital through any of those things, the odds of you actually seeing, you know, forget about COVID-19 and everything being virtual right now. But, you know, the odds of you seeing your investors or your investors seeing you eyeball to eyeball other than a video call is really rare. And so a lot of the, the old the kind of like the, the traditional way of doing due diligence has been in face-to-face type meetings and you're developing this relationship and there's a certain amount of gut feel that investors will have. But when you get into the world of doing general solicitation, the good chunk of your capital is not going to come from, from investors that you've ever met or likewise they've never met you. So due diligence becomes even more important because you have to have the level of credibility that almost a public company has with its transparency of, of access to information and why portals are even more important than, um, you know, because they have to have this super comfort level. They're not going to get a gut feel from meeting you on this or shaking your hand or whatever it might be. So you have to, you know, this process of building the due diligence is even more important. And some things, if your company has been around for a few years, the level of your financials, your customer agreements, the legal work the, of, of validating all your employee agreements, all that kind of stuff has to be in there too, where as a startup, you're not going to have that kind of stuff because you have to have your customer agreements. You might need to have what your agreement will look like, right? Even when you're doing a SaaS app and you may not be up and running yet, you're going to have something that people sign off on when they start to use your application. So do you have that document created or at least a framework of a document, and maybe it hasn't had full legal review because you haven't had the money to do that, but you still should have those kinds of pieces and parts that say you are open for business and ready to go, and as soon as you get your money, you know, it's off to the races. Exactly, because, yeah, I mean, you're, you're trying to get effectively strangers to trust you with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, and most people have never done this before. And, and it's, it's exactly that. You're, you're building that trust and, and earning that faith. And, I mean, you just have to think of it from their perspective. If, if somebody yeah. had some cracks and some obvious kind of loose ends, the answer is really simple. It's not a no. It's, well, why don't you come back in three months after you've taken care of some of these things 
and, and we'll reevaluate. Mm-hmm. In a world yeah. where coronavirus hits, like anybody who was fundraising on, on January 1st has a different strategy March 1st because the world, <laughs> the world was different. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's, it's fickle. I mean, there's no, with angel investors especially, it's their own money. They, they can do it at their own thesis. And if the trust isn't there, I can tell you almost no, almost no deal is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I've seen due diligence materials that are well done make a deal move quicker, you know, absolutely yeah. than, than not. So I want to take this time as we're kind of rounding the half hour mark to remind people to go to nightly, K-N-I-G-H-T-L-E-Y dot C-O so that you can, you know, ch- check it out. If you want to see a video of how it works, go to LinkedIn, get on LinkedIn, look up nightly and follow, go to the, the company page. And there's a video there that actually shows a demo of how the whole thing works for investors and on, entrepreneurs. It's really um, uh, quite, uh, the right word I'm looking for, um, reassuring that it has the, the, the um, framework for what an entrepreneur and, a, and an investor, a new investor, an independent investor, an investor group will, will want to see. And then you have the, um, uh, and, and, you know, so it's just, it's good that way. And also, if you're interested in trying it out, uh, Graham has been generous enough to offer the listeners a, a free month with, uh, with, you sign up using the code Karen, my name, K-A-R-E-N, as the um, passcode. And then uh, you have to, you know, put a credit card in for, you know, whichever program you're signing up for, but it won't bill you for 30 days. So you can try it out and see how you like it. And it's actually really affordable as well. I was real impressed with how affordable it is for, for startup entrepreneurs. So anything you want to add, some potential other gotchas or recommendations, an aha moment, if I'd only remembered to do this or something like that, you'd like to share with our listeners? I think, I mean, as a founder, you're always learning and, and it's cringeworthy to look back, I think, throughout the whole process. <laughs> and I think it doesn't, it just doesn't matter how experienced you are as a founder or as an investor. You look back at what you were doing three months ago, six months ago, a year ago, and, and you just want to laugh. So, so I would just tell everyone to remember that, that this is a process and it's okay if this is really terrifying. And I, I promise you have it in you to grow into this. And, and that anyone is, is capable of, of being a great founder and being a great investor. And, and it, it, both sides can't exist without each other. And I think right. that both sides kind of forget that sometimes, that we're all on the same team. We're all one ecosystem. And, and that we need each other to make the world go. And, and so anything that you can be doing to just increase the strength of the relationship and just make you more interesting and, and easier to work with, I just think is a great standard practice. And yeah, um, come, come join us at nightly. Uh, if anybody wants to a private tour, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn as well. Um, but thanks for, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And you're, and I think a word that you said in there is, um, is optimal. It's the relationship and, and how you build that relationship of trust. You know, our days of 
we don't know when we're going to, if there will ever be a back to normal thing of, you know, you know, breaking bread or having a cup of coffee and developing a relationship. And, you know, a lot of that gut feel that, that early stage investors have, you know, it's, uh, you know, when they decide on deal A versus deal B or whatever, it's going to be harder for that to, to come about. So you have to look at things that give them comfort and their ability to um, trust you, each other, right? It's trusting the uh, right. entrepreneurs need to trust the uh, investor, but an investors need to trust the entrepreneurs. And, <clears throat> you know, that it really becomes comes down to the due diligence. Do you know your business segment and what you're going to do well enough to know what you need to know? Or if you don't know what you need to know, you've got a plan to get it, or you've got people around you that can help you navigate that. And, you know, one of the things I, I, all, I also use compassionate capitalists to describe because one thing that when you're balancing you as an entrepreneur, you're balancing fear of the unknown and will I be successful? Will I fail? It's the passion that you have that whatever you're trying to do is going to change the world. Okay, it's your passion that you have. And if you can hold on to the passion, it will help you overcome that fear and then just be, you know, not delusional about your passion, but be, you know, realistic on what you need to do to make that happen. And I tell new investors that are getting into it. Yes, the capitalist side of this is you want to make money. Everybody wants to make money. But instead of, you know, assuming all the risk of, you know, you know, a lot of times some executives will reach this point, they kind of call it like a midlife crisis where they go, oh, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And they have no idea that the job that they had as an executive of a company with 100 employees is nothing like the job you'll have as the founder of a company that has, you know, half a dozen maybe, or some part-timers and independent contractors. And, you know, you got to do, you know, you're the one arm paper hanger right? Wallpaper hanger. And so mm-hmm. you know, you've got to do it all. And, um, and so you're, you're going through that. So you as an investor don't have to assume all that risk. You can, you can, atta- you can attach yourself to the passion of an entrepreneur that is willing to commit 110, 120% to this passion that they have. And you can be compassionate, put that company's passion into your portfolio as a capitalist and make money helping them to achieve that. And that's the other definition of compassionate capitalist. And Graham, what you're doing with Nightly is a big piece of that puzzle. And I thank you very much. I, I certainly appreciate that. I, uh, it, is, it is a pleasure to get to talk to, to people in the startup ecosystem every single day. And, and building products and serving that community is, is actually a pretty great dream come true moment. And uh, so, so we're going to be around. We're not going anywhere. This is just the beginning. Um, but, but we're, we're going to try to make all this a lot easier and a lot more accessible for a lot more people um, on both sides, on both the founder side and the investor side. So that's, that's our mission. Okay. All right. And with that, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. I always close out with onwards and upwards. And we're going, you're going to, if you stay tuned, you'll get to listen to a closing video. I mean, closing, closing audio that talks about some of our sponsors and services. So thank you very much, Graham, for joining me today and uh, looking forward to doing business with you in the future. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth 
and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a Entrepreneurs Resource Portal, providing access to dozens of lenders offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougaran Capital Holdings. It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.